Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome on to a Sunday night edition of the Dunked On Basketball NBA podcast. 15 and 60 on the Eastern Conference. And Liam is going to start us off here with the free-falling Detroit Pistons. Sure. So the Pistons, uh, two and five since the last 15 and 60, 30 and 36 overall. They're 21st in net rating, 22nd in offensive rating, and 14th in defensive rating. And right now their projected wins are 37 wins, which would make them ninth in the east and their playoff odds are practically you know zero at this point so i'll I'll just start with um the big news from the owner who came out and uh to the media and said that there i'll I'll read the quote there's no playoffs or else ultimatum but he wants to win it's about what happened this year what we're going to do about the future stan is a team player and we're going to discuss it we're not winning enough so we have to talk about that and so I'll, i'll propose the question to you guys so if you were stan van gundy would you fight all or nothing to keep your coach or gm you know uh title of you know as both of them or you know would you uh allow the pistons to come in and pick a gm to work over you in the system because it sounds like there might be some changes from that comment from the owner the dreaded uh vote of confidence but i just wanted to see what you guys thought about that yeah well a lot of people are saying the idea that stan is a team player implies that he could lose front office responsibilities arn Tellum, of course has been there he was instrumental in getting them into that little caesars arena in downtown detroit but now tell him doesn't apparently have anything to do so the, the obvious potential replacement as well as the fact that things have not really worked out for van gundy uh they made this trade for blake griffin that has not worked to get them in the playoffs sure they've mi- been missing reggie jackson but griffin has not played well in a piston uniform as uh we are going to get to uh, i am sure so i mean fight for all or nothing i mean he's under contract for seven million dollars for next year he signed that five-year 35 million dollar deal so i i would imagine you just have to deal with it because i don't see anyone else paying him seven million dollars for next year either and the problem of course is that no matter who they bring in now is the gm especially because this griffin trade has locked them into him for so long you know i'm not sure there's much immediate surgery that can be done and as sad as it is to say for pistons fans four years after van gundy's tenure started they're really not any better off than they were when it began well what i would say on the all or nothing element of it is whether Stan Van Gundy really wants to coach this team next year because they're going to pay him no matter what. And if he basically says, I want both things or I want neither thing, it's in a weird way. It's kind of like a, a nicer version of what Jason Kidd in Brooklyn, what he did in Brooklyn, where he tried to get more with the idea being that if he failed, he could just fall out of it and Stan Van could do something else. Because I don't think coaching the Pistons next year is really going to build his brand. I believe he's 58 right now, so he has enough time if he wants another job to get another job. So 
if he doesn't want to coach this team necessarily next year, I might make be less amenable to ceding that part of power and just lining taking next year off and then lining up the next gig. Right. Well, so, I, I, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, go, yeah. I, the only thing I would say is uh, if I remember correctly, I, I think the reason that he took the Pistons job in the first place over the Golden State job was that they gave him this, you know, power and that he'd been burned in the past with, uh, you know, the front office, you know, firing him when maybe he felt, you know, he didn't deserve it or maybe some personnel moves that he wasn't happy with but I, I just figured that he wouldn't be willing to cede that power but um i don't, I don't know I, mean, I guess it's a possibility at this point yeah it's just a question of what other options does he have i mean to not cede it i mean you can just say you're not the gm gm anymore he still has a contract to coach and maybe they'll work that out but i think the biggest reason why he wanted that power is to not get fired the way he did in orlando and you know with his contract nearly up you know he's, i don't think he really has the leverage maybe they'll work out a parting but you know seven million bucks is not bad to coach a team and maybe he can be a better coach for them but let's talk Liam about why it is that things have not worked so well for them and uh where do you want to start on that score sure other than by not muting your microphone when you cough (laughs) well not my best moment but uh so since the Blake Griffin trade their net rating overall is 22nd in the league their offense is 25th and the defensive their defensive rating is 13th and offensively I think you can pin a lot of the their problems down to some of their shot selection and just their struggle in the mid-range they're 10th in the league in percentage of shots taken from the mid-range and they're 28th in percent from the mid-range so they're really struggling that area well, well so when let me interrupt for quickly when you say shot selection do you mean they're just taking bad shots or just that they can't get better shots I think the, that's a, an important distinction sometimes well I think that it's probably that they're not they can't get better shots right now and that part of that has to do with uh the reggie jackson injury and reggie jackson hasn't been great but he is another guy that can create on ball because right now they're asking blake griffin to do just a ton with the ball and then even when he's off the floor uh, uh dwight bikes is you know their main creator so they definitely ha- are lacking creators right now and maybe reggie jackson can help some with that but i think i want to you know push back a little bit on you saying that blake griffin's struggled in detroit and not that he's played great and i just think a lot of the circumstances haven't allowed him to you know play as well as you you would think so just watching like the Cavs game I felt like they isolated him for like 20 possessions in a row which I know isn't accurate but I, it, it just felt that way the way their offense was flowing and they'll, they'll start out each game with some nice movement and then it just throughout the game it'll just regress to Griffin trying to create everything you know for the team himself so in, in 17 games he's averaging 20 points a game seven rebounds and six assists and he's got a ridiculous 30% assist percentage uh, for their big, which is like 100th percentile. He's, you know, really distributing. And he, they like to stick him in either the low post or the high post. And as Dylan Murphy's pointed out in the past, when you get a guy that can create in the high post, it's so double, it's so hard to double team him in that area because everybody's just one pass away. And he's been actually pretty effective on post-ups. 22% of his possessions, he's 0.96 points per possession. So even though they don't always look, you know, pretty, he is actually decently efficient down there. And he he ran some four or five pick and rolls and he, he got some good stuff out of that. I'd like to see them run that a little bit more. And he's, he's just still a really big mismatch for a lot of guys as far as, you know, his perimeter skills, his handle and just the strength in the post. And I think part of his jump shooting struggles, he's been terrible for mid range. And I think some of that's just, he has to create a lot, which I'll get into a little bit more later, but his three point struggles, he's actually, he's shooting 32% from three on over five t- attempts a game with the Pistons, but he's actually 36% on catch and shoot threes. And he's taken 
get about two of those a game. And the problem is that he's taking three pull-up threes a game at that, 26%. That's absolutely insane that he has to take that many pull-up threes. I mean, that that is probably the biggest stat to me that he is just like overburdened from a, a creation standpoint right now. Right, absolutely. And just to build off that a little bit more, I pulled up some stats on just, you know, his, his scoring stats and his usage. And he's using 12% of his possessions uh, come after seven plus dribbles. And his previous career high was uh, 6%. So he's practically doubled his career high and like you know really bringing the ball up creating it for himself and he's got a 36 percent effective field goal percentage on those possessions where he's dribbling seven or more times so he's really struggling there and part of this and late shot clock he's also struggling too zero to four seconds he's using 12 percent of his possessions in a 40 percent effective field goal percentage so part of that can be you know just you know flaming bags you know bad situations he catches late in the shot clock but also part of that might be a, you know some athleticism regression you know lack of ability to beat his own man but i i think he is being like tremendously overburdened like i said before with the lack of creators on the floor is smith has really cramped the spacing too you know he's basically a non-three-point shooter so when griffin has the ball he has drummond's man and is smith's man you know crowding the lane so i think that's what's resulting in a lot of those mid-range shots but i don't i don't know do you disagree with anything that i've said so far or about uh how he's played or because i i think he could really be much more effective if they give him just even a little bit more creation around him maybe play luke Kennard and some of the some more lineups and stuff like that but maybe you guys disagree what do you think Danny what's your impression been of Griffin's time with the Pistons I do think that he has been overburdened and that it really hasn't helped in in terms of evaluating where it is moving forward not having Reggie there but the misgivings that we we had about the the pairing and about Blake Griffin aging I think those are still valid too so it's kind of like he's looking worse than I would expect moving forward but I'm not sure how much worse and that's what should be really concerning so Danny I I have a little trivia for you here. Which piston is shooting the second worst percentage in the NBA from floater range, minimum 100 attempt? He is uh, 47 out of 173, 27.2%. That feels, God, because I don't think Reggie's played that much. So I'm going to say that it's not him. Uh, I guess I'll go with Ish. Andre Drummond is the answer. Wow. And and calling it floater range is perhaps inaccurate. uh, Because, yeah, because it's a lot of it's post up. Some of it's floaters too off the pick and roll but that is awful that's almost as bad as his free throw shooting was in college when i think he also shot 27 percent uh but shouldn't make fun of him there because he's uh, what he and deandre jordan have done this year improving their free throw shooting is just incredible work to be as bad as they were for as long as they were and actually like be able to hit free throws competently is like just a testament to how hard they've worked at that like they really deserve a lot of credit uh but that was a, a good way to transition it into uh, liam's observations uh, on drummond right so i think the, the way he's been playing so far with uh since the Blake Griffin trade has really uh changed you know overall so he was getting a lot of those elbow touches before you know distributing making plays out of that he was up to I think six elbow touches a game before the Blake Griffin trade and now he's down to four touches a game in in those areas and they'll start the game off where he catches it at the elbow and they'll run a flex set or something like that I I guess just to make him feel more involved and then throughout the games he'll get you know a couple post-ups but he's he's pretty bad at those when he does and he doesn't do it a lot when Blake Griffin's on the floor I think 0.82 points per possession on his post-ups this year and just I, w- I would like to see him use you know a little bit differently I'd like to see him doing a lot more uh pick and roll you know where he can use his gravity as a role man to be a real threat offensively but you I just didn't really see that much uh with the personnel that they have so maybe that'll change when Reggie comes back and 
I think that's supposed to be relatively soon. Yeah. But because they're using, they're running it the same way they used to with the Clippers, right? Where uh, with DeAndre Jordan around the rim in the dunker spot, is that the same thing that they're doing basically when it's pick and roll? It's usually Blake, and then Drummond kind of waits in the dunker spot to either get an offensive rebound or, or finish around the rim from Blake. Right. That's exactly what they're doing, and I think part of the problem is that they're playing Ish Smith. I think Ish Smith has played like almost all the minutes with uh, the Andre and Drummond and Blake Griffin have been on the court together. So that, you know, wing defender, that really cramps their spacing. So that guy can dig down onto Drummond and leave Ish Smith open when Drummond's man has to step to help onto Blake Griffin. So that's definitely hurt them overall. And just his finishing overall, like when he, when he's not dunking the ball, like he, I, I don't think I saw him make like, you know, many layups. He was really missing a lot. He's only 63% at the rim, despite, you know, yeah. I, I would assume dunking most of his shots. So like that, whenever he's that's not a dunk, awful. he's missing. That is really, I mean, that's basically league average these days is around 63%. So that's, for a guy with his tools, I mean, yeah, that just speaks to his lack of touch. Right. And some of the part, some of the problems that he had defensively too were, and I don't, you know, know the Pistons system well enough to really question him fully, but I thought it was strange how they had him uh, hedging and showing a lot on the perimeter. And it, some of it was inconsistent. So there were like one, there was one play where he'd hedge like three steps past the three point line, to, uh, you know, meet George Hill and they'd be able to hit the roll man before he got back and the tagger had to recover to his man and then other plays where like it would be Zach Levine in pick and roll and he'd drop way off and let Levine get like an easy pick um pull up jumper so there were some areas where I I couldn't tell if it was just you know him not executing the scheme or maybe the scheme was asking him to th- do things that he wasn't capable of but I think he had he didn't have mu- as much of a de- defensive impact on the game as you would hope for and protecting the rim he wasn't very good he had some highlight blocks just recovering because he's just such a freak athlete but opponents are shooting more at the rim with, with him in the game and I think 7% better at the rim overall when he's in the game opponents are shooting so he, he really needs to tighten up his defense I don't know what, what have you guys seen from him this season as far as development in that area or maybe lack thereof I've liked him more out on the floor in pick and roll defense I think it forces him to be active he has some of the best hands among big men as well he can really disrupt ball handlers by reaching in you know he's got a really high steal rate for a big he's got that seven six wingspan he's obviously got a really motor to get back into the play once the pass is made there but i think he's generally failed as a defender in drop coverage and so i understand if you want to try and change things up but i uh, personally i think he's more effective getting out on the floor um but that can be an overreaction when the pick and roll ball handler isn't as threatening or you know maybe you've got a a pick and pop big or something like that so you're uh i think he's better there but it would be nice if he could be better as a drop coverage guy um who else have you seen on the business you want to talk about real quick before we uh wrap this up well just just to touch quickly on uh the point you made i I think um i think he is pretty good sliding his feet out on the floor and that could they could get better overall defensively with just a little more continuity together as far as understanding rotations and tightening that up some but as far as other uh, people on the team that i saw i just wanted to comment on uh luke Kennard. i thought was pretty impressive in the minutes that he got he didn't play as much when stanley johnson was healthy but in the last two games, Stanley's been out, and I thought he showed really good decision making and passing, and just a little bit of playmaking off whether it's in pick and roll or off uh, pin downs. I, I I just think he's a pretty smart player that with his spacing and ability to just create off of pin downs. Like I said, like I think he could really help those that starting lineup with Blake if he played in more of those lineups just to give you know ease the burden on Blake some, and even defensively, obviously he has you know limitations with his length and size and strength and all that, but I, I thought he was did a pretty 
good job of you know getting in the right spot. And there were yeah. a couple breakdowns, but he was actually a pretty smart team defender. That, that's been my observation on him as well. That I I do see him making plays. I mean, he's very limited from a length standpoint, but you know, I, I've seen him make plays, get there uh, as uh, tagging the role man from the weak side. For example, I think he's uh, he's got good anticipation, even if he can't always make the play due to his limited tools. I'd agree. And just one guy I'll say talk about briefly, uh, Eric Moreland. I, I liked a lot of the things that he did with his activity level and just getting offensive rebounds and making plays out of his area, like rotating hard over for double teams and getting blocks. I, I thought he was impressive, and I, he's on a non-guaranteed deal next year, so that can help them out with some big man depth at least because of their limited uh, you know, cap resources. Is there any hope for these guys? I mean, just just thinking about it, like next year. I mean, obviously they're not going to get into contention or something. But could you see a way that they could get back to at least being you know a solid playoff team in the East? Well, I, I'm an optimist. I actually think they have a pretty good ch- chance at the playoffs next year with some more continuity and some development from you know Reggie Bullock's been really good this year and Luke Kennard. I, I actually think if Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond can just up their play, like I don't know five ten percent, I think they've got a decent shot at it. Uh, the problem is you know two or three years down the line with all the big contracts they have and the Blake Griffin contract is risky but I actually think next year they have I I think they have a pretty good chance at the playoffs maybe you guys disagree and a lot can change between now and then as far as other teams acquisitions but I'd give them a pretty good chance at it you know as a eight seven six seed something like that they remind me a lot of what we've said about Charlotte before where if things go well and if they're healthy I can absolutely see them being a playoff team but the second those things start to fade it's going to be very very hard for them yeah and we talked about getting into the playoff picture other than cleveland if lebron leaves you don't see the obvious team maybe the heat but they still have plenty of young talent I mean, most of these teams in the east have enough young talent that you expect them to be right back in the mix there's always injuries but it's hard to really point to who's taking this big step back outside of maybe the Cavs. now the good news for them also is it's hard to really point to who's taking a big step forward out of the teams behind them uh so th- they'll have the inside track on either ninth or 10th with, with day and the hornets next year uh so if you want to see this pistons team and i know we haven't been that high on them but if you ever watch a pistons game there are tons of seats available at little caesar's arena and what you can do is go on to SeatGeek, use their deal score technology i bet you can find some awesome deals there to sit pretty darn close with people selling their their tickets uh and it won't take you very much time because all you have to do is log in SeatGeek brings a ton of ticket selling sites together all in one place it's all in their app and then you just look at some of the closed sections if you see that big dark green dot that means that you can get a great deal and you don't have to go through every seat and compare it and say all right you know this is four rows to the left and five rows back but it's three dollars cheaper is that worth it or not SeatGeek's algorithms basically perform that calculation for you you can trust them you just click on the best value and boom you've got your tickets it used to be a 20 minute process tons of comparing to buy tickets now you can get that done in like 90 seconds two minutes even with the trust in the SeatGeek app the way to get started with them download that SeatGeek app and my listeners can get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase using that familiar promo code CAPSPACE easy remember we talk about it all the time on the program easy remember because the Pistons will not have CAPSPACE uh, 
this upcoming off season that's the seat geek app promo code capspace will get you 20 dollars off your first seat geek purchase all right we're going to stick go in reverse alphabetical order now thanks to liam for doing the, the pistons for us and we'll start with the the washington wizards we are going to tighten this up a little bit more we may be a little bit shorter on some of these teams um but we're going to go long on other ones and so that's why we change up the order at, at times uh, i want to start with john was just doing some statistical research generally you'll see a lot of this sprinkled through the episode about shooting percentages from different zones john walls 28.3 percent on mid-rangers is the worst of any player with over 100 attempts so that's twos outside the paint he says 187 attempts and then in pick and roll a lot of which end up being mid-rangers you know he loves that shot going to his right from the right elbow only 0.72 points per possession is john wall uh, and this is uh, on his scoring That's a shooter he, yeah yeah right his scoring as a pick and roll ball handler but that 0.72 points per possession is 66 out of the 70 pick and roll ball handlers who have uh had more than 200 personal possessions either a shot or a turnover out of pick and roll so clearly has not been the same player never an efficiency maven but this year it's been a lot different and a lot worse i guess you could call it an optimist would say that if he's been hampered by this knee issue and he is making his way back he did some side to side shooting and slow movement on wednesday and we're getting closer to the timeline that was originally six to eight weeks the six week mark is i think tuesday so we're getting closer to that so the optimist would say that element of it but with john wall we have never really seen that shot be reliable it has obviously been better than that i mean that's that's the low water mark at this point but in order for him to be a reliable offensive player in a way other than let's say what ricky rubia was before this year when ricky rubia has actually been shooting way better and that's opened up his scoring a lot more there is a value to john wall certainly offensively but it is more muted if teams can just go under and not worry about him killing them with the jump shot yeah and those were the strides that he had made in years past to where he could be more effective there now he still provides a ton in transition although again those numbers were down compared to previous years but especially in the playoffs this wizards team really needs the transition offense because they're not an incredible half-court offensive team worth checking in when wall went out in late january since then a 1.1 net rating they just got waxed at miami lost by almost 30 on saturday night which really hurt that net rating they have won about one game more during that period than would have been expected based on their point differential but a big part of why they've been able to stay afloat has been the play of thomas sadaransky he replaced tim frazier in the rotation frazier is back now with, with wall out uh, earlier in the year uh, sadaransky replaced frazier and one of the criticisms of sadaransky that we have is that he can't shoot and while the volume is low and teams certainly still don't really guard him out of there when they do throw him the ball and he elects to make a play out of spot of situations he's been very effective this season yeah it's it's pretty remarkable because he has 61 possessions on catch and shoot which is very very low but he has 86 points so when he takes when he takes a shot or whenever he makes a decision of that they've been very effective and there is an intense value to that even if it is a low volume yeah 1.41 points per possession on catch and Oof. shoots i mean that's that's never going to stay that good o- over a, yeah, a long period of there's time there's a sample size issue there but it's yeah it's 
spectacular either way yeah and he the other thing you'll see from him is synergy has these ratings of spot up possessions you know how many possessions are catch and shoot shots and and how many times do you drive and Sadoretsky will take the catch and shoot only about 60 percent of the time which is a pretty low number for a perimeter player he likes to drive likes to drive left more often he'll drive left off of those closeouts about two-thirds of the time and he's been more effective trying to score going to his left out of those plays and also one thing that doesn't show up in these numbers is he's a guy and this is a lot of what you'll see from a european style a guy who will drive and then kind of keep the the churn going as they talk about in utah right breaking the paint after someone else has broken the paint continuing to open up wider and wider openings for his teammates to hit a shot um in pick and roll again this is something where we got a little bit of flack and you know not in a bad way we always appreciate well-reasoned and uh reasonable well-reasoned and reasonable yeah those are two good things uh commentary and criticism on twitter but the question was you know why wasn't Sadoransky hired you know i think we had him in kind of the 25 to 30 30 30 to 35 type of range in the league and he's only got 79 possessions as a pick and roll ball handler all season and out of pick and roll he's thrown 187 passes uh, that have eventually led to shots but that's a ratio that you usually don't see among some of the best point guards they'll take the shot more often because they're more of a threat and he really wants to pass the ball to pick and roll whether it's because they go under on him because he's not a great finisher at the rim and he's contested he's again he's very judicious about that he's finishing well at the rim in this period i think liam looked at it two weeks ago and he was uh at 70 percent at the rim uh but i'm not sure if he really works that well as a starting point guard because you need most teams need someone who can create in that role the ability to to take a shot and the fear that that instills in an opponent creates looks for other people we've seen that all over the league when a lot of these point guards have been out you you notice that difference and so it has worked for the wizards i mean also they're just moving the ball better overall and i think sadoransky can help with that flow but the kind of the rosiness that we saw in the beginning i think some of that was also just they they got some good they had some they've had some wonderful games during this time but again when they've had some good games against strong opponents or they've faced some other ones it's fallen off a little bit and so the other issue with sadoransky in the ratings was the sample size issue not only the way that you know shooting and all that kind of stuff but he's i believe 26 and his most notable stretch in the nba he's been in the league for almost two years now was this stretch of about 20 games and and so even for van vliet who's in a different spot i was similarly reluctant to go overboard in it because guys have looked good in a small sample and then not become as good as they were at least in that sample which doesn't mean it'll be awful it's just not as good as he's been yeah and if you're not a pick and roll creator as a point guard you need to be a shooter because that means that you're playing someone else next to you who is doing most of the creating a lot of times in pick and roll or maybe even in the posts and so you need to be able to shoot and Sadoransky I mean he really knows how to play right he's one of these guys even when he was scoring poorly last year the on-off numbers always really liked him and really you noted that this is his first uh, notable stretch as an NBA player where would they be if they just played him last year instead of signing Brandon Jennings and playing him maybe they win that playoff series against Boston when they just got killed whenever John Wall was off the floor and then they played John Wall. Yeah, and that could have even the spillover effects of not being so deathly afraid of sitting John Wall that his legs aren't dead at the end of game seven. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, when we did like dunked on video, we highlighted how like John Wall was just walking by the end of that game seven as Kelly Olenek was like hitting three pointers. Um, So that was a disappointment. And I think that given how good the on-off numbers were last year, even though his shooting wasn't great, they should have given 
him more of a look and maybe those numbers you know turn out to be a small sample size fluke or whatever but i mean especially when you have a massive problem at the position like why don't you play the guy give him at least a chance to earn the job when that's the one time you're not getting killed is, is when this guy is in the game all right let's before get to we move the, on yeah, wait, go ahead. before we move on i want to do their fundamentals so we have it out there because oh did we miss that yeah, yes my bad 38 and 29 three and four since the last 15 and 60 uh 12th in net rating 11th in offense 11th in defense and they're projected to have 46 wins which would be by 538 which would put them fifth in the west in the eastern conference which if they won that first round series would put them in a second round series probably with our next team the toronto raptors the raptors are 49 and 17 now 8 and 0 since the last 15 and 60 third in net rating third in offense third in defense and they are by the movement that has happened in the last week or two they are now the prohibitive favorites to get the number one overall seed in the eastern conference sorry i shouldn't have said overall the number one seed in the eastern conference and possibly to secure it earlier we'll talk about Kyrie irving later but they can they establish that partially with their absolutely massive win over the houston rockets in what was on paper the league pass game of the year and lived up to its billing yeah this is probably the best league pass game since the warriors and hawks played in 2015 mm-hmm. when both of them were on the way to 60 win seasons and the raps i mean they're projected for 61 wins you know if golden state continues to fall out and just decides to stop chasing the number one seed they could even potentially have home court advantage over golden state in the finals um the biggest thing to come out of that game against the rockets i thought was the way that they defended they tried it seemed like to really stick with that spurs strategy from last year and that becomes harder with the rockets having even more shooting and depth than they did last year having chris paul as well and it really seemed to work especially early on that what they decided was hey you know what if we give up threes i guess we'll give up threes they're going to get up those threes anyway and let's at least take away plays at the rim valentunas is too slow to get out on the floor anyway we're just going to lay back valentunas is a big body we're going to make you finish at the rim over valentunas and at least early on that proved effective it did and it was also helped by the rockets missing some of the threes that were created there i mean sure. chris paul chris paul was zero for three and Ariza and that was also significant because it put a lot on norman powell's shoulder norman powell normally wouldn't play many minutes theoretically if these teams faced off in the nba finals he might barely play at all but because og and anobi has been out and powell is the most logical other player to go on james harden he had that assignment and i thought he did a pretty good job overall harden ended up with a, a decent offensive night i mean 15 to 22 40 points 15 and 22 from the field but i thought that generally speaking he was making him work for all of those and so yeah his efficiency numbers are great but i still think powell did a nice job overall yeah i mean to hold harden to seven free throw attempts and, mm-hmm. and that many shots is low and harden was one of the few rockets to shoot it well from three and we mentioned that you know they were able to uh take away shots at the rim from the rockets well they only gave up 27 three-point attempts which uh, i haven't looked at it but that's got to be pretty close to a season low for the rockets a team which actually takes more than 50 percent of their field goal attempts from downtown uh, on the season and they kept the rockets relatively off the foul line as well holding the rockets to one of their worst offensive outings of the season and what did you see from the raptors offensively in this game because the the rockets switching defense has been very effective this year as well a big pivot point in the game came early when kyle lowry some of it was on open shots but some of it was just good defense and him beating it was just hitting everything he was five of six from the field and three of three from three in nine first quarter minutes that was 13 points overall and then they were able to do the pivot DeRozan was pretty passive mostly because Lowry was just hitting everything at the beginning 
beginning of the game. And then when Lowry came out about the three minute mark, DeRozan took over and had his best stretch of the game. And so what that allowed the Raptors to do was continue the momentum. They ended up with a first quarter run of 32-16. And basically the Rockets spent the entire rest of the game cutting into that margin. I believe they tied it, but I don't think they ever took the lead. And the Raptors just continued getting boosts from surprising places. The most surprising of those was probably, I think it was in the early second quarter, Malcolm Miller, who has spent more of the year on Raptors 905, had a seven-point run himself and was looking, got a a comfortable three-pointer in the left corner that was pretty impressive. And then they just were getting contributions. I thought Valanciunas had a couple of nice stretches. Abaka at a a few moments hit some open shots. And that's really what you're going to need to do against a team as good as the Rockets. The Warriors are in this camp as well. The Celtics hopefully will be there too, is ride the hot hand to a point, try to get good shots and and work through it. They There were some times late where they didn't get good shots and that was a little bit concerning. Like there was one where Valanciunas got the ball in the corner, in the left corner, and they closed a little bit too hard on him, which was also a mistake. And so he just decided to dribble drive and they. I, I'm pretty sure what happened was they stripped him and it went out of bounds. I'm trying to remember exactly, but I just remember it looking pretty rough. And those sorts of opportunities, especially in a game that gets close, you're going to have to make the most of it just get something positive out of it. I've used the phrase two dribbles in a good decision a lot. That's really what you want from everybody. And that's a lot to ask of Valanciunas. I'm not saying, oh, he sucks because he can't do that. It's just not what you'd expect. Yeah, I thought that their offense late it did devolve into the DeRozan show a little bit again. So that's always a concern. Things that slow down for them. The sphincters get a little tight. They stop moving the ball. They go to some of their more traditional guys who have always been there instead of some of the guys off the bench. Although Van Vliet is someone who can provide a little bit more spacing and a little bit more offensive pace in the half court. Uh, before we go here, one more uh, trivia for you. Would you like to guess which Raptor leads the NBA in shooting from floater range minimum 100 attempts? So percentage, not attempts, because I, I was going to guess DeRozan was leading when you said mid- shooting. So you mean you mean percentage, though? Yeah, yeah. When you say he leads in shooting, that usually means, okay. uh, means percentage. Not shots. Most shots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. This, is, this is a people who have taken at least 100 attempts from floater range. Who has the best percentage in the NBA? It is a Toronto Raptor. Okay. It's not Valanciunas because I've seen him miss too many of those. So, <laughs> uh, and I don't, and I don't, DeRozan takes too many. I think he's probably in more in the like high, in the low 40s. Cause you said it was, it was like 55%? 55%. I don't think of him as having this kind of touch, but Ibaka? That is correct. Serge Ibaka, which was One just for two. shocking for me. I had, and he actually had some really nice hook shots in, uh, and uh, pick and roll floaters in this Knicks game today as well. He did. Um, yeah. And you mentioned Malcolm Miller. His three ball looks better to me. He's a career 38% shooter in the G League. Uh, he's been playing for 905 uh, this year as a two way. He was uh, played in Europe last year and uh, then was in the Celtics system. It got a, a brief call up with the Celtics, I think a 10 day. And I thought he looked good. He's got a seven foot wingspan and the three ball was looking a lot more natural and quick release for him. He hit a couple against the Knicks today as well. So another guy and Pascal Siakam, who we should talk more about another time we're out of time for the raptors right now but i want to make one more point quickly yeah i understand especially team as successful as raptors wanting to go with their guys late but they were playing van vliet valanchunas a lot of guys late that you couldn't trust on james hard 
Gordon, and he went off. If this game had lasted another minute or two, I think the Rockets would have won. And at a certain point, I think you do have to let star talent on the other team dictate personnel to a point. And he was just torching Van Vliet and DeRozan when he went. Uh, those guys have known each other for a long time. And I think you need to be ready to move to guys that fit that that can slow down the opposition better when you're trying to hold a lead. They also should have heavily considered hacking Clint Capella because the Rockets were getting all heck of a lot more points per possession than you would expect from giving Clint Capella two free throws, even though he's been better this year and especially been better since that awful rookie year. Let's get to the Sixers now 36 and 29, four and three since the last 15 and 60. Their 2.7 net rating is seventh in the NBA. They are 16th on offense, fifth on defense projected for 48 wins, which would be third uh, with the Cavs losing today. Third in these, that's a pretty remarkable. They're going to sail past their over-under, which we thought was completely ridiculous, of 42 wins at the start of the year. And part of the reason for that is their schedule to end the year. It is pretty ridiculous. I was wondering for a while why 538 was so rosy on them. I mean, yeah, they're seventh in net rating, so you have that as well. They have 17 games left, but only five of those are against potential playoff teams. And all five of those games are at home. So they have 11 home games, six on the road, all of their seven games are in the eastern time zone against non-playoff teams and they are one of only two teams in the nba the other being charlotte who doesn't matter for this because they're not gonna make playoffs who have more games left against the bottom eight so those are the teams that have their own draft pick the most people refer to those as the tanking teams they have more games against them than they do against the 18 teams that are still battling for to make the playoffs and proceeding yeah so uh they should end up uh, pretty well here so i mean they're being projected to go 12 and 5 over Mm -hmm. that stretch uh, and I want to talk a little bit about how they've handled the rotations since Ursan Ilyasova and Marco Bellinelli joined up. As you'd expect, Bellinelli plays almost all of his minutes when J.J. Redick is out. Redick, at his age, usually only plays in the high 20s, maybe low 30s in minutes, even though they could really use him to play every possible minute that he would be available. That actually might be an underrated way that they could improve in the playoffs is if both he and Abid play a lot more minutes. So there have been a couple minutes over the last couple of games where Redick and, and Bellinelli have played together but that's a pretty flammable defensive combo uh, and those guys are, are pretty redundant they generally as and this has been the case I think all season Embiid will play in three stints the middle of which he really does not play with Ben Simmons Simmons will play uh, only two stints uh, and then you know have the normal time where he's sitting out at the end of the first beginning of of the second and Ilyasova generally has come in about two-thirds of the way through the first quarter same thing with Bellinelli and I wanted to check how they've been with Embiid off the floor since the Ilyasova acquisition it's been my theory that while Embiid is certainly a great player a big part of why they're so bad with Embiid off the floor is because just their backup lineups didn't really fit that well there just wasn't the shooting I mean they're playing two bigs to Together, and Simmons and TJ McConnell and there's just no way to get enough spacing with those units and now with Ilyasova and Bellinelli and Bellinelli replacing TLC that seems to have been largely an upgrade they're three and two since Ilyasova was acquired uh, but they have a 2.6 net rating with Joel Embiid off the floor during that period that's only five games uh, also worth noting that a fair amount of that has been in garbage time in games against the Hornets uh, but that is encouraging for a team that has really struggled with 
Embiid out of the game and hopefully also means that they won't have to run Embiid into the ground in the quest for playoff seating before their seating gets wrapped up uh any other Sixers observations that, that you wanted to share at all I'm very intrigued to see why where their workload goes in the playoffs because they don't have that many games against competitive teams the rest of this season they can push those guys plenty hard in those but they've been so good when Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons have been on the floor together are they going to push that hard are they going to say hey this is still the first year of this long-term thing and some of that could also be dictated by where they end up if the current projections put them in the third seats so that would actually be ahead of the Cleveland Cavaliers and at that point maybe you go hey if we can win this series maybe they can put a scare into the Celtics because theoretically that would be the three two you you go for it a little bit harder than maybe you would have before a couple other points are much attention has been paid in the rookie of the year debate to oh how do they play with Embiid off the floor and Simmons on the floor well, I think it's also worth noting that units with Embiid on the floor without Simmons that start the second quarter are only have a plus 1.5 net rating now that's not as bad as it's been with Simmons although that trend is reversed a little bit in the last month what's really awesome though is the way they play with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons on the floor plus 14 net rating when those two are, are out there and that's a, a big part of why their starting unit has one of the best net ratings of any fivesome in the NBA last thing on, on them Ben Simmons leads the league with 289 field goal attempts from floater range but hitting a slightly below average average 39.4 percent usually that'll hover around 40 40 and a half percent uh for the league average uh so a shot that if he's going to keep keep taking he's going to take a lot more contested floaters than most guys because a lot of times the defense is just backing up and so they're still kind of on him when he's taking those shots it's it's different than when the guard gets off the pick and roll and gets in the lane and there's really no one on him he's got a two-on-one with the big and takes that floater so that's a shot he's going to need to improve his accuracy on uh because the you know i'm not willing to totally write it off but i think the chances of him becoming an adequate jump shooter even from outside the paint are pretty low at this point let's jump to the orlando magic the magic are 20 and 47 two and six since the last time we did this their negative 4.7 net rating puts them 25th they are 21st in offense 27th in defense and they're projected to be tied for 13th in the east with the nets at 26 wins so i think they would hope to lose a couple more games than that because that would really make a big difference in it and they had this weird thing where in at the end of the lakers game which was you know this single possession game they got screwed by circumstance it was a clock it was deemed a clock malfunction and they should have retained possession at the sideline basically it ran early and instead they ruled it a jump ball which effectively killed the game however i do not believe that the orlando magic were too crestfallen for that because losing that game was better for them and they competed enough you know i think it's kind of it is a moral victory and you don't want to be snarky about that but they kind of did organizationally get what they wanted out of it another thing they're getting what they want out of organizationally is the injuries that they had in the backcourt we talked about evan fournier getting an mri last week that came back as an mcl sprain and he says that he hopes to return it would be disappointing to end his season like that but even if it's only a grade one mcl sprain we've only got about a month left in the season those usually take at least two weeks to come back from at that point you're really just like why push it uh, and obviously if it's any worse than 
than that it, it probably is grade one if he's talking or even about returning otherwise it, you know you're looking at six to eight weeks for a grade two and then terrence ross still no word uh, on his status I mean, you were really getting to the point where it seems unlikely that they would bring him back both for the tank and also just because it seems like there's no point in, in bringing him back and risking him here uh so that'll mean more aaron to follow it'll mean more wesley wundu i mean jamel artis uh, as well meanwhile aaron gordon is in the concussion protocol uh, did not play on saturday against the clippers so they've it's underrated how much they've been hurt by injuries this year uh, but they're coming at the right time now for the tank one guy who has played most of the season is john simmons in this his age 28 season let's talk about what we've seen from him he's on that three-year 18 million dollar deal with non-guarantees in the third year so simmons is in the new circumstance after playing a couple of years for the Spurs and they rescinded the qualifying offer with him and Simmons on the Magic has the highest usage of his career 21.5% and the interestingly the same assist percentage as last year on the Spurs 13% the ball movement in San Antonio was distinctly better so you can get some opportunities that way 55.4 true shooting 12.7 PER and uh, I think it's the highest free throw attempt rate of his career and he's making 33% of his threes this year and something that I found intriguing was that his proportion of catch and shoot versus pull up is actually very similar to what it was with the Spurs. It's kind of about one quarter pull ups and three quarters catch and shoot, which is good because like most players, he's better on catch and shoot circumstances. The difference is that this year he's been making more because he's really improved those, even though it's only a quarter of the shots, the pull ups are up from 18% last year, which is pretty ghastly to 29% and then a slight uptick on catch and shoot threes. And if he's 33%, obviously you'd like it better. That's I guess tolerable. It's probably it's it's not a huge asset, but the idea of three and D I guess requires. I, I would say that's a little bit below the threshold there, but it's not too far off. He's another guy, especially as a backup. You know, he was really hot to start the year and, and then has, has dropped off. But they really have lacked for creation in their backup units with some of the injuries that they've had with really a lot of their scores unavailable. And his zero point seven six points per possession. As a pick-and-roll ball handler, that ranks 63rd among 70 pick-and-roll ball handlers uh, with more than 200 possessions. And he's got a little bit a little bit less than 300 possessions this year. And that's just way too much for a guy like him. I mean, he's not an elite passer. He can't really hurt the defense that well on those pull-ups, as you alluded to. And he does really like to get to the basket when he has the opening and he can attack it. He'll get there. Uh, that's where he can be efficient. But on jumpers off, the dribble out of pick and roll that's 40 percent of the time he takes it to the basket 43 percent of the time those dribble jumpers are, are what's really killing his pick and roll efficiency and then of course the turnovers as well is a pretty high turnover rate out of pick and roll and that's how you get down to that 0.76 points per possession he's a guy who i think can be useful maybe if he's the second guy and you get in the ball on the move with an advantage which happens more often with the spurs he can get to that right hand explode to the basket and finish with a plum but if the defense is set he really doesn't have the craft and of course this isn't a magic team with a ton of spacing either i would say his ideal role because you would like his defense to be out there with starters because otherwise guys who have capability on that end but are on the second unit they just can't provide it that much would be as the third best perimeter offensive player on a team the problem is that the orlando magic don't really have point guards right now and fournier is okay but he he's not really the step up that you would need so if they could get a point guard i think a 
lot of this stuff would sort out. But of course, that's going to be hard to do. And if they draft somebody, as we've seen with the rookies this year, it'll it'll take a little while. So the timeline here is going to be challenging for them. Taking a deep breath, are you ready to talk about the Knicks? Well, last thing I wanted to say on the Magic, sure, uh, they are projected to actually go six and nine down the stretch, which seems like just impossible for uh, that great tanking eight. Uh, so they certainly, with the injuries and just not being that good, have it within their power to lose more games than that. We'll just see. I think there's a lot of variability in how they end their season, though they certainly have a pretty easy schedule. But let's get to the Knicks. I watched their game today against the Raptors, which, surprise, surprise, they lost. They were in it for a quarter and then just got their doors completely blown off by the Raps' second unit. 24 and 43. They are 0 for their last six, and their negative 4.4 net rating is 24th in the NBA. Those wins that they banked early on in some close games coming back to hurt them. They are 21st on offense, and you recall there was a time with Porzigas when they actually were in the lower end of the top 10 offensively this year, and their defense is all the way down at 25th. They project for 30 wins, and that's another one of these ones that really seems way too high for them to go 6-9 and nine the rest of the year with all the tanktastic guys that they are playing right now. Well, they've won one game since the trade deadline, I believe. So, yeah, it would be, they would have to add a lot more on top of that, and they do have, they only have, it's actually the least of any of these teams at the bottom, they only have three games against double tank games left this season so they could lose a lot and they could lose quickly i wanted to look at how emmanuel moutier has fared as a member of the knicks and these stats are from before the game today i compiled them before that 41 percent true shooting is distinctly not great on 25 percent usage is even worse because that's a lot of shots when you're not that effective the knicks have an offensive rating of a little over 100 when he's been out there and they've been worked to the tune of a negative 20 net rating something Oof. that is yeah that's not great uh something that i'm not as concerned about especially because it started out with such a bad stretch i think it was 0 for 8 on threes at the very beginning he's at 15 percent as a nick on threes but 37 percent earlier this year in denver 32 percent for his career but he is in this short sample size making 68 percent of his shots at the rim which is by far his career high and that's just as a nick his previous high is 54 percent. so i expect that to tone down a little bit but i would say the getting let's say 10 percent worse on on shots at the rim versus 20 percent better on threes is a is a net positive for him and Moutier this has been the case for him going back to his Denver days his first year in Denver they just had no one else to, to shoot the ball but he's had I believe over a 25 percent usage every year of his career and of course has struggled with efficiency and you know maybe you could take some lessons from Thomas Sadaransky about how to be a little bit more efficient because he clearly just shoots too much again this is a, a scoring challenge Nick team so to some degree he's got to do that but the shot selection has to improve for him because he clearly so far in his career is not proved capable of making the shots that he takes at an adequate rate and maybe he's one of these guys where even if he reduces his usage the efficiency doesn't improve anymore but even if it doesn't at least you're not killing the team as much i want to talk a little bit about the observations from this raps knicks game uh but one stat that i had i thought was interesting chris Saps porzingis only 55.8 percent at the rim uh on 156 attempts is before he was injured of course uh and that ranked second last among players 611 or taller who had taken more than 100 attempts at the rim finishing around the rim in a spacing challenge nick offense to be sure especially when he is the one who provides a lot of that spacing so if he's at the rim there's plenty of other guys around the rim as well but that's a concern he still could be a better finisher right in the basket area uh well and a full yeah a 53 of 
those 87 successful finishes were dunks. So that I, I don't have the exact numbers on how many dunks he missed, but that means that of his layups and everything like that, and generally speaking, those are more contested shots, but sure. th- those ones were a, a much greater struggle. So uh, the Unicornet show today uh, at MSG, uh, early start time, uh, Luke Cornette actually played reasonably well. Uh, the story with Cornette uh, out of Vanderbilt, have a slow, heavy-footed seven-footer who doesn't have a ton of strength at this point either but the the appeal is that he can shoot the three ball which he did today uh, although he's been awful in all games when he hasn't played the raptors just can't hit a shot and i thought he actually had some level of effectiveness around the room challenging a a lot of shots forcing a decent amount of misses had a couple of tip dunks uh, as well and so it it wasn't you know he definitely is gonna have to hit shots which he hasn't in all games not against the raptors but he he showed a few signs It, it wasn't too bad yeah i wonder what his what his role is on a on a better team because i don't trust him defensively in most circumstances but you know as a change of pace backup center sure i, I can i can see that a little bit one guy who's yeah. jump shot he, he, is, gave, he gave some problems to valentunas who yes. struggled to get out there and guard him that's true and but i just think on on a better team you know if, if you have actual stakes then his downsides are going to be a bigger problem but one guy whose jump shot is, is more concerning is our friend who i still believe in his defensive potential frank nokina yeah he has not had the mid-ranger working this season that was never supposed to be a strength of his i mean maybe he'll get there but you know more of a, a spot-up three-point shooter at this point to the extent that he is hitting shots but i mean just his stats i mean he's got a true shooting percentage in the low 40s right now and 6.9 pr i mean that's just that's not good they're playing him now at the two alongside moody courtney lee had missed a couple of games for personal reasons probably will be back in the starting lineup per jeff hornacek in their next game and then frank showed a couple of signs here uh he had like a nice nash layup with his right that's the the layup i actually asked a, a buddy of mine who's a trainer like what to call that that speed layup where you just bring it up with one hand and, and never touch it with the other hand so you can extend past the defense and, and I, I thought a, a nash layup was uh the perfect term for it because steve nash was really one of the first guys to do that he actually he noted that gary payton was the first guy that he'd seen do it but nash did it so often it probably makes more sense to name it after him uh, um so he had that nice nash layup tried the same thing on the with the other hand and got blocked pretty ugly by ibaka and in the pick and roll again this is another one of these guys who's really inefficient out of the pick and roll 0.69 points per possession uh on 204 possessions that's 68 out of 70 ball handlers uh, with more than 200 possessions so the pick and roll game not there for him yet i still think he has a decent vision to find the roll man when there's some space uh, but and, and i thought he showed a little bit more burst off the dribble he had one nice blow by on norm powell uh, but so long to go here offensively for nilakina uh, although uh, th- he does deserve some credit for forcing demar Derozan into a, a somewhat difficult shooting night do you have anything else on them are you ready to move on uh trey burke we had talked to two weeks ago i believe it was about how his awesome mid-range shooting uh, had been the foundation of his game and, and when i checked it a couple of days ago he was still shooting 53 percent for mid-range which obviously is awesome but came into this game uh, shooting four out of 18 uh, and so a, a little bit of regression there for him you know not he's been playing off the ball more still not a guy who really sets up others in the pick and roll doesn't draw a lot of the defense so if he can continue to hit mid-range it's not gonna be 53 percent, but if you can hit mid-rangers in the mid to high 40s maybe you can be you know a decent enough backup uh but this 25 per star turn that he'd had a, over a month uh, obviously was not going to continue 
they also the Knicks also have uh, Isaiah Hicks who who is a guy I liked out of North Carolina got some NBA tools he impressed a little bit playing for the Clippers team in summer league he's playing with the Westchester Knicks now is up with, with the big squad and he had like one nice crossover for a dunk where he just wrong-footed Jakob Pertl and, and I'm not going to predict that he's going to become some great player but he has NBA tools I think there's going to be a spot for him ultimately he's the type of guy you want to try and develop with their G League team as they have in Westchester and that Westchester team has been pretty good that all five of their starters uh this year are in the NBA and they are looking like the number one seed going into the G League playoff and last uh, but not least the the Knicks did adequately defend a, a Spain pick and roll it got asked a, a couple of times on the Twitter NBA show how do you defend that and the way they did it was they just had the guy guarding the back screener in the Spain pick and roll because remember what that is is it's an initial pick and roll up top and then a shooter will set a back screen for the big man who just set the pick and roll to go to the rim and, and just get wide open at the rim so that's difficult to defend so what they do is they just have the big guarding the initial screener just lay back under the rim to take away the roll and then they just have the guy guarding the back screener switch out onto the point guard and the Knicks actually executed that beautifully at the end of a, a quarter against Toronto so uh, one good play there for for the Knicks in that game but if that's probably the best way to defend that Spain pick and roll but it's so tough to defend because you've got to know that it's coming and totally change up what your normal rules would be because there's no actual interaction between the two guys who are switching right like those two guys never actually screen for each other so you got to know what's coming call it out and be ready to switch if you don't know what's coming you're going to screw up defending it that's why it's such a great play to run all right now we can move on the Milwaukee Bucks 35 and 31 two and five disconcerting since the last 15 and 60 their below water net rating puts them 19th they're 14th in offense 19th in defense and 530 projects them to have 43 wins which would both give them the eight seed and they would lose their first round draft pick to the phoenix suns because that would be that would be outside of the protection that that the dual sided protection that exists on it they yeah, made uh, a 11 through 16 if it's in the 11 through 16 range it goes correct and they made a uh, an interesting series of personnel moves in the sequence of it i was kind of wondering about because they signed former draftee brandon jennings to a 10-day contract and 10-day contracts do not go in addition to the 15-man roster and there was not a clear cut because they recently signed shabazz muhammad so they're kind of wondering well what are they going to do what the bucks ended up deciding is that they waived mirza toledovich and why that is significant is because now they you know his money you can still apply for the basically the 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 salary removal but you cannot apply for it until november 7th and if they can get that waiver it is absolutely massive for the bucks finances next season toledovich is will be paid and he's paid this either way 10.5 million dollars for the 18-19 season and if the bucks get that money excluded like miami did with chris bosh then all of these concerns or at least a vast majority of them that we had about whether they were going to have to deal with the tax especially if jabari parker got a big money deal as a restricted free agent it doesn't make those concerns evaporate but they get pretty dang close well the nice thing about it is this is new for this cba that they can waive him and still get the exclusion uh whereas with chris bosh and the heat you'll recall they had to keep him on the books and 
with Toledovich, this is will fall under the new fitness to play panel. We don't have to get into the, the exact details of that, but with his pulmonary emboli, they are betting that a fitness to play panel will find that his career is over. And so, as of November seventh, they'll be able to apply for that. That was the last game that Toledovich played, uh, and they also can stretch him this off season should they want to. And then that stretch will come off the books if the fitness to play panel rules in their favor after November seventh. So even if the the relief is not granted, they should be able to get some more breathing room, depending what happens with Jabari Parker's potential new contract as a restricted free agent. Maybe they can still get enough room to use more exceptions for next season when those exceptions should be pretty valuable in what will be a tight free agent market. Uh, What's gone wrong for them, though? Uh, they had started so well defensively in the Joe Prunty era. Now they basically are playing at about the exact same level they had with Jason Kidd at the helm. And despite the new scheme, they're still giving up the same ugly shot distribution defensively. There was this concerning split, which is sort of coming to bear a little bit now, where they were fourth in defensive rating during the time that Prunty had the, has the has the helm. But when you look at the shots they're giving up, you would say well that's not going to continue so during that yeah. time period, and alone, they were opponents were shooting like amazingly badly on from threes, everywhere even though they're still yeah from everywhere yeah yeah so they were giving up the most the highest proportion of opponent shots at the rim in the entire league 39.5 percent of opponent shots which is ludicrously high they were not forcing mid-range shots which is another calibrator of quote-unquote forcing the right shots they were third lowest there and then with threes was 30.2 percent but part of the reason that was comparatively low is because they're giving so much up at the rim there were there are five percent five percent more shots at the rim than the league average team the middle team during that time but what was saving them defensively was that teams weren't making anything they were third lowest in opponent three-point shooting percentage lowest opponent mid-range percentage and then middle of the road at the rim and generally speaking teams are better at controlling the frequency than they are controlling the percentages and so as those start to go back to normal this defense will shade out other than the four turnovers which they've been strong on they're second in the league since Prunty took over so an interesting data point there you know the kid scheme was supposed to give up all these shots at the rim and force a ton of turnovers well they changed the scheme and they still force a bunch of turnovers and they still give up a bunch of shots at the rim and threes so maybe it's the personnel maybe it's the execution maybe it wasn't the scheme after all perhaps although i do still maintain that the scheme wasn't optimal a couple of little notes on their shooters chris middleton has taken 377 shots for mid-range twos outside the paint but he is shooting an absolutely scorching 51.5 percent and a lot of those plays are self-created a few of them are pump fakes from three driving in uh, and so i've expressed frustration that he doesn't space out to three more that he doesn't shoot threes if you look just at his own offense that's a justifiable decision because he's shooting about 34 percent for three now career he shot better than that i think he would shoot better than that uh but the problem is just that while that may be good for chris middleton they're still not getting the space if he's operating in the mid-range and he's got to pull up a lot and it's to his credit that he's shot this incredible percentage he takes some really tough attempts uh and he's also shooting 49 percent from floater range which is uh, among the, the league's best because he's operating in the mid-range there just isn't the spacing simply standing at the three-point line and creating space for others it can help a lot but if he's trying to operate he's not really able to create for others to draw the defense and he's not forcing guys to close out hard on him as well so 
I th- the more I think about it, I think that he might be a reasonable trade candidate for this team. I'm not sure who they could get. It's rare that you'll see trades of kind of like for like to help both teams try to be better at this point. Usually it's current assets for future assets in the NBA. Uh, but Middleton has been a, effective as kind of a Joe Johnson sort of scorer. It's just that I'm not sure that that type of scoring is exactly what they need. But I, I, I do, that percentage puts it in a little bit different light for me of some of his shot selection because at least he's, he's making those tough mid-rangers at a level that you know has really been efficient in the half court yeah that's a uh, an interesting point but the overall offense i think is important to consider there and something else that has been jarring with this team and i am less enthusiastic about it is Giannis just taking a ton of mid-rangers yeah he is at 280 attempts that is 19th in the nba and he's making only 34 percent of them that's actually i think is up a little bit and we've lamented how he's had to take a lot of these tough mid-rangers late in games when there just hasn't been the space to operate and those mid-rangers i mean you'd think oh you're laying off him he's open well a lot of those are kind of turnaround fadeaways in the post i mean you can kind of back off the guy a little bit but a lot of times he's just got to shoot over and contest i mean he's not like creating a ton of space with like a crossover or something and getting wide open on these shots most of them are, are pretty contested also worth noting i mean you remember early in the year after like a month he was shooting 85 percent in the restricted area that's actually down to 72 percent which of course is still excellent given the fact that he leads the nba in attempts in the restricted area uh and you wonder how much of that reduced percentage even though it's still great it's not as great as it had been how much of that is knee, is knee how much of it is the lack of spacing how much of it is defense is really keen in on him and then real quickly i also want to talk about sterling brown who has been the darling of bucks twitter the 6'5 225 pounder also has a 6'10 wingspan went to proviso east which is a high school in the chicago area right near where, where i grew up in oak park don't need to get into him too much I, I think the three balls look good for him he's shown some nice versatility to his jumper he had the, this really nice fake in the corner where he took a step to his left and was able to drain the, the shot he's not a particularly quick first step uh i wouldn't consider him particularly explosive either i mean he has one really like monster dunk against washington this year but uh, not a guy who's going to really just take off from really far out and dunk it um much more effective attacking off a one foot uh, going to his right hand Uh, when he tries to go off a two feet you can tell with that big body he's used to against college defenders he can kind of go up off a two feet get his shoulder into guys knock him back and create space for a layup doing that against nba defenders has largely been a failure and the biggest thing holding back his efficiency is at 53%, which is below the league average, despite shooting 38% on threes, is his 50% shooting at the rim. If he can get a little more efficient on those shots, uh, or even just to kind of drive, break the paint, uh, draw and kick, although again, this Bucks team doesn't have a ton of guys to shoot those shots when you draw and kick, uh, then he can, can get a lot better uh, offensively. And, and I think he's been, for a rookie, he's been solid uh, defensively. Uh, shall we move on here? We shall. And let's let's talk a little bit about the Miami Heat. They are 36 and 31, 5 and 2 since the last 15 and 60. They are a player plus 0.6 net rating, which puts them 16th. It's pretty amazing. I believe that they're 16th and the Bucks are 17th, which means there's nobody closer to dead even. Oh, no, there's another team in the middle. Anyway, 18th in offense, 9th in defense, projected to be 44 wins, which would put them 7th in the West and then or in the East, and that which would then put them against the Boston Celtics. And something we, we wanted to talk about is Hassan Whiteside. Well, he was fabulous, absolutely fabulous in their game against those Sixers on 
Thursday. He outplayed Joel Embiid. That is that is completely true. And he deserves a lot of praise. There are certain games where he looks really good. I actually thought they looked pretty solid without him. Biombo playing with the starters in their win on Saturday. Biombo. Sorry, not Biombo. Um, Bam. 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 That's why. Adebayo, Biombo, because they're, they end in the same syllable, pretty much. So anyway, I thought Bam looked good in the starting lineup in that game. But kind of the, one of the questions I've got into is that Whiteside has been an absolute, he's really highly touted this year and in many other years in defensive RP most notably. And so that was something I wanted to look into. And I found something pretty interesting, which is the value of the box score prior. And so this is going to get a little bit into the weeds, but I think it's it's a good thing to do for those who who use RPM and whether you're super familiar with it or not, because, you know, this is something that I got more in tune with because of this story. So Whiteside is 95th in what is called regularized RAPM, which is regularized adjusted RP, uh, plus minus. Is that I got the R correct, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and that's a, RAPM is we, we talk about it as like pure uh, RAPM, which basically means you're not including anything from the box score, which and the box score in general over the entire league that's shown to approximate value a, a little bit more. I kind of prefer RAPM though because it's just the pure calculation based on the on-off of who how your team performs adjusted for your teammates and who's on the floor for the opposition and. and so his RAPM is really not that good. It's just because he's getting all these defensive rebounds and shot blocks, his RPM gets bumped up, similar to the way that it used to with DeAndre Jordan, because generally those things correlate to better on off. I'm not sure, though, given some of his other limitations, whether that is the case. This could be a, a case where RPM overrates Whiteside's defensive contribution. There is certainly an idea behind that. And then there's there are players who, for whatever reason, it doesn't reflect their impact. And on the other end of it, you could say like clay thompson for example he right. doesn't get steals and blocks so his box score prior weighs down his rpm whereas it, it probably shouldn't and there there are certainly players in 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 all sorts of directions and in the aggregate it leads to a better result if it didn't then they wouldn't do it for rpm like that's the whole point you know like it's it's changing this through a black box into something that they think is more predictive and something that i personally find interesting when i look at a big guy is how do they affect not only the success of shots at the rim but how do they affect the proportion of shots there and Whiteside this year is doing that second part broadly so opponents are shooting 30 percent of their shots in the restricted area when he's when he's there and 33 when he's off the court and then the floaters go up from 17 percent to 20 so basically they're swapping out shots that are much more efficient for shots that are less efficient and the percentage success rate is not that much worse when Whiteside is on the floor but when you take fewer of those shots that's better for the defense I also wanted to talk about Justice Winslow a, a little bit. The three-pointer has been encouraging to some degree when you watch him shoot it, especially from the corners. It, it looks smoother. The release looks a little bit faster, a little bit less hitchy. And you remember that he actually shot 41% from Duke uh, uh, at Duke uh, on limited attempts. This year, he's 37 out of 85, so 43.5% there. But a few problems with that. Number one, obviously, it's not that many attempts. Number two, it's the volume he's only taking and granted he plays almost as a big more often in their system so he's his job isn't as much to just space out to the three-point line uh but he's only taking 2.4 for 36 minutes which is very low for a wing player and then the two-point shooting has been a massive issue for him only 41.5 percent from two his shooting at the rim is one of the worst that we've seen from wing players he's not really like a nuclear athlete 
you know that was never really the case for him he's a good athlete he really gets into guys defensively i saw thought he played some of the best defense i've seen on ben simmons this year in particular uh and he's strong he's intense but he's not going to just go over guys for finishes even layups or dunks and this is now his third season he's obviously had two seasons now that have been majorly impacted by injury he'll be an interesting extension candidate they did a great job getting josh richardson to the deal that he is on right now winslow it's a little bit different because they're not limited to kind of 11 million years the most they could pay richardson by the way josh richardson is shooting uh 39 from three on 294 attempts this year which is just fantastic uh given how good he is defensively so winslow will be an interesting extension candidate as a high draft pick a guy who is ballyhooed but hasn't necessarily produced as much although he showed some signs is he going to demand true starter money and an extension clearly i think the heat should not give him that at this point or is he going to be okay with you know something in the i mean i really think it's unlikely they get to an extension i mean because it really for the heat to want to do it i think it would have to be well under 10 million dollars per season and you just that's just not the mindset of guys to take that kind of a deal even if i think a lot of them probably should one other note i want to make with with actually two other notes on winslow shooting one is despite the improvement in his mechanics and everything from three his free throw percentage has not gone up he was 68 percent his rookie year 62 and then this year he's at 63 so not a huge upgrade there and do you want to guess what he's shooting on deep twos this year he shoot doesn't take many of them so it is a definitely a small sample size issue but the number is striking oh it's got to be like under 25 percent because i mean even at the rim he's shooting over 50 percent so it's got to be something so bad to get him down to that 41 percent on twos oh it's half of that 25 percent it's 12 oh, man yeah and well, that maybe, and that and that maybe actually that's one out of eight <laughs> it might be something like that yeah because he's only 10 percent of his shot attempts have been from deep two but so you kind of sit there and you go okay a guy shooting 44 percent from three he's not taking that many attempts but he's shooting 12 percent from long two maybe there's a little adjustment that's going to happen here we'll get to the indiana pacers momentarily but first this from our friends at blue apron with the playoffs coming up especially with these double headers in the evening we're gonna be doing the twitter nba show don't have a ton of time but blue apron is still something worth making time for they now offer 12 new recipes each week and what i like to do is get the four-person recipes make a ton of food and then i've got leftovers as well that's great for me in the evenings when we're watching games i'll make it during the day for lunch and then can have some more at dinner some of the things that they're got this week quick bucatini with broccoli and pecorino cheese and italian style shrimp and sweet pepper Blue Apron is a food delivery service that delivers pre-portioned ingredients right to your door. No food waste, far less expensive in my experience than buying all the same ingredients at the grocery store. In particular, because at the grocery store, you have to buy way more food than you really need for a lot of these. I mean, if you ever try to buy cilantro at the grocery store, you've got this just bunch the size of your head that you're just never going to use all of it. And the way to get started with Blue Apron, if you want to give it a shot, they're treating Dunked On listeners to $30 off their first order. If you visit blueapron.com slash capspace, just go to that blueapron.com slash capspace URL and check out this week's menu. I think you'll be really impressed with the type of stuff that you can make in as little as 30 minutes. It's blueapron.com slash capspace. Let them know that you came from us. So yeah, you remember when we were like, oh yeah, we're going to really tighten this up this week. We're going to, uh, you know, try try not to do quite as much for all these teams so it doesn't take us two and a half hours to record and, uh, you know, we're well on pace for that now. 
Yeah, Pacers are 39 and 28, 5 and 3 since the last 15 and 60. They are 10th in net rating, plus 2, 8th in offense, and a surprising 12th in defense. And they are currently projected to have 45 wins to finish 6th in the East. And one of the just massive challenges that they have left is they only have a one they only have one game remaining against one of those bottom 8 teams, though they have two late games against Charlotte, which is functionally probably not that different, and they have 11 games against potential playoff teams. So most nights they're going to be battling against teams that are really trying. They can win those games. They actually won one today against the Celtics in a game that I, I watched and I'm happy to talk about if we want to talk about it. But though there are other topics, including Darren Collison. He came back on Friday. He's still off the bench at this point, and he doesn't seem like he has all of his burst back. But there was a play in transition day where he looked good. And on the first game back against the Hawks, he had 21 on seven to ten shooting, two to two from three in 21 minutes. So he came back quickly and he had hasn't been amazing. He's not all the way in, but it's certainly just having him on the floor has been such a big help for them. Yeah, so much for relaying that report from the Pacers broadcast last week that he wasn't really close, but I, I guess they were right when they said, hey, you can really uh, turn the corner quickly to get back. Uh, one thing that has been awesome about their attack, that especially as we've gone on in the season, is Miles Turner's shooting, and he projected to be a solid shooter, but he has basically been the best pick-and-pop big in the league this year in terms of his percentages he's shooting 51.4 percent for mid-range and a lot of that is pick and pop we've seen him really hurt some traditional centers like dwight howard whom he absolutely killed uh when they lost to the jazz last week he was really the only guy who was able to make much hay against rudy gobert and in pick and pop which is remember the footwork on this is tough right he's rolling away from the ball you have to get your feet set square up and shoot it he's scoring 1.1 points per possession most of those 87 percent of the time he just takes the jumper without dribbling but every once in a while he could pump fake it and get to the room where he's actually uh, the few times that he's done that he's been effective as well and that type of volume is huge as a pick and pop player and his release has really improved and i thought even late in this game he talked about this in his post game interview he had a great deep post up against marcus morris turned right into him with a power move and scored maybe even could have gotten an and one instead of going to some of those weak turnaround jumpers that we've seen for him so he's uh has been improving uh offensively of late to me he is still two weeks away from turning 22 guy who came into the league very very young and i really like his potential early in this game i thought they missed some opportunities to use him as a pick and pop guy because boston due to al horford being out due to illness they were starting aaron baines and mark the aforementioned marcus morris as their frontcourt rotation and so baines is their best rim protector pretty much their only rim protector in that lineup that i trust getting him out of that area would have created more driving lanes however they had some real trouble getting those lanes in the first place because the other big absence for the the celtics and we'll talk about this in their section a little bit more is jalen brown was is unavailable because he's in the concussion protocol so that put marcus smart on victor oladipo and in the first half that was a godsend for the celtics because victor oladipo just could not get going and smart was all was in his jersey a lot he was just making the driving hard oladipo was setting settling a little bit too much but then Oladipo got into a much better rhythm in the second half and so he finished the game with a nice close but then he finished the game with a good second half but then he was also big in the closing push as well yeah and they made some nice plays to get smart off of him with small small pick and roll 
Bills. The Celtics actually started trapping the ball. Uh, Turner hit a nice pick and pop jumper out of that as well. Uh, I mean, the Celtics tried everything. They put Marcus Morris onto Turner to try to get more mobility involved, but they didn't feel comfortable switching Morris onto Oladipo. The one shot that Oladipo missed down the stretch, uh, he just about put Daniel Tice on his butt uh, trying to guard him uh, off of a switch. Oladipo, I mean, he just, especially late in games, there's been some superstar production from him. And Marcus Smart is a great defender. I mean, this is more belongs in the Celtics section, but I'm not sure there's anyone else in the league I would rather have guarding the opposing teams to guard it than him at this point. Uh, but it's really been incredibly impressive from Oladipo. He also had some nice plays late defensively. He had a big strip of Jason Tatum. And then they tried their hardest to fumble the game away at the very end, but managed to pull it up. For the second consecutive time in Boston, for people who follow the Pacers, they will remember and probably cringe him. I mentioned that, that they had that horrendous late turnover and it was a Terry Rozier pick six when they should have won that game. And this one, they, after a the play that you talked about before where Turner backed down Marcus Morris and got that basket, then they got free throws. And so Boston was down four and they did like any team tries to do where they, they try. They actually missed their first shot. And then Bogdanovich, the same guy who was one of the goats in the game, the previous game at TD Garden, he went after a defensive rebound when the ball was clearly going to be Indiana ball and he mishandled it. So Boston got it back down four. They made the shot. And then Marcus Morris in the second time the Celtics have done this in the last month or so drew an offensive foul on an inbound on Victor Oladipo. To me, there was some contact, but there wasn't. Yeah, I mean, he sold the ever loving Christ out of it. And that got Boston the ball back. But Terry Rozier couldn't convert the shot. So the Celtics didn't end up tying the game, which they could have. So the Pacers escaped this time, which they did not do last time. And the other thing that has to be mentioned as a part of the story of this game, it will be more in the Boston section, but the game turned a lot for me at basically halftime because Kyrie Irving did not come back in and Boston just lost so much rhythm offensively. And that is really what allowed Indiana to get into the game when they had trailed by either double digits or close to it before that point. Also worth noting right now, the Pacers are third in the East with the Cavaliers lost today. And you mentioned that hard schedule. So their projection is a little bit lower at the sixth seed, but pretty amazing. And they are all also, it must be noted, uh, much to the chagrin of two analysts who gave them a terrible grade for that Paul George trade, that they actually are a half game ahead of the Oklahoma City Thunder right now, which and absolutely no one could have predicted. Not only that, but it has been largely fueled by Victor Oladipo reaching this level. And so oh, they, yeah. they made and, and an Sabonis too. Yeah, they made an affirmative bet on those two guys, and that affirmative bet in the first year is absolutely paying off. All right, let's move on to Cleveland. Pretty ugly loss in LA today 38 and 28 three and four since we last checked in on them a negative 0.4 net rating is 18th in the NBA it bears repeating how lucky they have been to even get to 38 and 28 they've had some really bad blowout losses Isaiah Thomas lit up the immortal pick and roll combination of Jose Calderon and Ante Zizic defensively and obviously the Cavs have a lot of guys out to have to employ those guys defensively but nonetheless the Cavs still have the sixth ranked offense in the NBA which is below their lofty heights and of course their defense is horrendous 28th in the NBA and they are projected to finish fourth in 
the conference and a lot of interesting machinations there. I mean, and, and can, they you can, imagine, fall. can you imagine yeah. how Toronto is feeling at this moment? The projections would be that they would face again, Milwaukee in the first round and Cleveland in the second. Yeah. But I mean, with the Wizards, the Pacers, I don't think the Heat or the Bucks are necessarily contenders here, but you know, the Cavaliers could easily fall behind there. But nonetheless, I mean, they fall one more slot. They're still on pace to face the Raptors. So you would have to say that that's probably the most likely second round matchup assuming of course the Cavaliers win in round one which I think we would all expect them to do uh since Tristan Thompson came out uh, Larry Nance this is from before the Lakers game uh pretty good in three games as a starter 17 points a game 10 rebounds and two steals uh he's been shooting 63 percent and hitting the mid-range jumper which is not something that we saw a ton of from him in LA doesn't quite have the three-point range yet but uh, LeBron James has praised the fact that he's able to provide a little bit of mid-range spacing which Tristan Thompson as we know does not another one of their significant additions george hill it hasn't been as rosy for him 11 before the laker game again but his stats are were pretty much in line with this in the lakers game 11 points three assists three rebounds at about 30 minutes per game 52 percent true shooting on 17 percent usage which is low and he is shooting 34 percent from three but what is so crazy about that is the disparity for between the corners and above the break he is over 50 percent from the corners and three of 16 above the break yeah and that used to be early in his career with the spurs maybe even early on in his indiana career the knock was he was much better from the corners than above the break that again this is not very many shots so uh, i'm loath to draw any conclusions and he shot it extremely well from three when he was in sacramento but i think given how he played in sacramento the lack of aggressiveness what we've seen from him as a cavalier that and and this is in their starting lineup when they really need one more guy who can do some stuff off the dribble the player that he was in the year that paul george missed the player that he was last year when he was healthy in utah i don't think that player is going to come back anymore given the age that hill is at this point he struggled shooting it in the paint and you know is not getting the steals that he used to he hasn't had the effect you know he used to be one of the league's best at that rear view contest where you go off the screen but then you make the ball handler uncomfortable pulling up for the j by contesting from behind you know he's not that player anymore uh the defense has been a lot worse with him on the floor but a lot of that is just fluky three-point shooting uh teams are shooting 21 percent better from three with him on the floor so too early to talk about what his uh, offensive and defensive rating is when he's on the floor but just his own individual statistics the lack of burst that he's shown the fact that he just hasn't really been effective as a pick and roll ball handler so far uh all of that to me means that you know they certainly well overpaid for him in terms of uh the amount that they're going to owe him next year uh, although of course they did move on from him on Shumpert but they're paying nine million extra next year to have him instead of Shumpert we should talk a little bit about their other injuries I mean Tristan and Kevin Love we have of course discussed on the show but the more recent ones Chetty Osman has a it feels sounds to me like a, a groin issue was originally described as a hip strain he's going to be out at least two weeks but the quote is what freaked me out originally and why I thought he was going to be out. He said, I tried to run and then I heard a pop from my groin. This is the second time it happened, actually. I felt pain and couldn't run. Right now when I'm walking and I try to lift my leg up, I feel pain. That's not good. Yeah, so as you mentioned, he'll miss at least two weeks. And then Rodney Hood, part of the reason he is no longer a member of the Utah Jazz, reportedly is some of the difficulty that he's had with nagging injuries. Left Friday with a lower back injury, had not been shooting the ball well. Prior to that, neither Hood nor Osmond nor, of course, Tristan Thompson 
Johnson, who, who's still out with that ankle injury, played for the Cavs at the Lakers, and they're, they had to really get into their depth. They're playing John Holland out of their Canton D-League team, and Zizic, Calderon, none of those guys really probably should be in the rotation at this point, and they really got hurt when those guys were out of the game. Jeff Green is starting. He's probably not a starting level of player. They're obviously missing Kevin Love as well. Uh, but LeBron James still soldiers on in this is 15th season incredibly he is shooting 75.5 75.7 percent at the rim and is also second in the nba in attempts at the rim that is truly incredible uh, to be that good at getting to the rim and that good at finishing even here at, at age 33 that's just we have not seen a player with this type of longevity maybe ever did you see the pass fake and pass that he did tonight oh yeah that yeah. was uh, uh, he is such the lakers a... the lakers didn't see it but, <laughs> but we sure did that was he is such an appallingly good passer and i hope we we can appreciate that for what it is and he is he has superlative strengths in other areas but that is i think what i that in the finishing at the rim or or what i will always think of as being truly special let's get to the bulls 23 and 43 an appalling three and four since the last 15 and 60 Uh, i think they've won all of their double tank games since then uh yeah they beat they beat the mavs they beat the mavs can't remember they i know they beat the hawks uh 129 123 they, they beat not the, a ton of defense they beat there. the Mavs the Grizz and the Hawks and they lost to Detroit and they lost to Boston yeah the Hawks did not play Dennis Schroeder in that game uh and uh their negative 6.0 net rating is 27th in the NBA they have the 27th ranked offense 23rd ranked defense and projected to an appalling 29 wins so uh, they are projected to go 6 and 10 uh, over their last 16 games again I mean some of these teams have to win but 6 and 10 seems a little rosy uh uh, worth noting that they were chastised by the league for not playing Robin Lopez and Justin Holiday in road games a little bit antithetical to the initial point of the rule because the whole road games thing is well you want like the players that road fans are paying to see to be playing I don't think that's Lopez and Holiday but nonetheless it was against the rules to just be resting healthy players at home they are allowed to not play one of them they kind of like negotiated this with the league uh so you know they just play them one quarter and never put them back in by far the greatest of these was the pistons game would so yeah yeah because lopez was actually negative against the, against the hawks today right so lopez and holiday both played in that in the pistons game they both played the entire first quarter the bulls were ahead 26 to 21 both of them never returned back in the game and the bulls i think it was like a 21 point swing in the rest of the game detroit won by 15 or something like that that was just cracking up because like okay this is basically the minimum you can do and apparently the league is not going to chastise you for for it and one of the players who is really helping their tank is the jewel of the jimmy butler trade zachary levine yeah, I would say Markin is probably that at this point, although, you know, who's to know whether they valued the number seven pick or Levine more at the time. Um, Levine, 29.6% usage, but uh, a career low. Or, uh, it might have been worse in his rookie year, but certainly compared to the last two years, 49.5% true shooting. Uh, if you want to compare that to Isaiah Thomas's numbers in Cleveland, uh, almost exactly the same and Thomas a, a better passer. And amazingly, Levine might be just as bad as Thomas was defensively as well. 
overall and so that usage eight percent higher than in minnesota certainly playing with fewer offensive threats uh he does avoid turnovers which you, you remember his rookie year when he's playing point guard he actually turned it over on 20 percent of his possessions now he's down to nine percent that's a solid mark and he's also getting to the foul line 29 percent free throw rate uh free throw to field goal ratio uh which is the best of his career but he's just taking a, a ton of shots right now and not very efficiently <laughs> yeah i mean so for for as a point of reference he is taking the seventh most shots per 100 possessions in the entire league of guys with 350 or more minutes per play per, per played just ahead of Joel Embiid and Victor Oladipo yeah and Embiid as a higher usage because he gets the foul line and he turns more. it over way more yeah that's true so the big problem with Levine, I mean, he's not, he's not shooting quite as well on three-pointers, but he's in the high 30s there. The bigger issue is he's taking fewer threes than he had been, about 10% fewer of his shots are threes than in Minnesota. And while he's been getting to the rim, he just has been finishing very poorly there, shooting around 50% at the rim. But watching him on film, I will say it doesn't look like he's particularly slowed coming back from the ACL. I've been particularly impressed with just his burst in a straight line off the drill, and he's really able to accelerate hard when he rejects screens off the pick and roll. He can get to the rim. He's been changing speeds a little bit, and he's got that good straight line burst. He's not quite as quick laterally changing directions, but in a straight line, he really can accelerate. The problem is his craft finishing at the rim is not great. The left hand is average at best, probably needs to go go to that a little bit more gets a lot of shots blocked one play that he does that just shows he kind of doesn't have the feel for where the defense is and he's never been an amazing finisher at the rim or a guy who gets to the foul line a ton but it's worse so like he'll go to this finger roll on plays usually when he's kind of standing still or when he's off at two feet and he'll just try and roll it right in front of the guys and they'll just block it like it, he shoots like this wilt chamberlain style finger roll except wilt you know had enormous hands and everyone else was six five who was guarding him and wilt was seven foot zach levine is not that so he just he'll like put the ball right in front of guys for a finger roll off at of two feet where he's not even moving and extending past the defense and just get it blocked back in his face a few times he also takes off from really far away i mean he's a little bit similar to russell westbrook although he doesn't have the strength of westbrook where he'll just be going so fast at the rim that it's just hard for him to have the amount of touch because he takes off from so far away and and then his floater has looked really ugly as well he just doesn't get enough height on it so he gets a lot of those blocked as well so really the technique the feel for finishing around the room it has not been great i mean what he can get to the basket for some dunks which he can't even in the half court sometimes I mean, he's got about the same dunk rate as he did last year uh, so i'm not sure whether it's going to improve his finishing a, around the room and then obviously defensively it's been a major problem for him uh he recalls the bad aspects of derrick rose and pick and roll defense a lot of times he won't just slide get his hand get his inside foot over instead he'll turn and basically start running and try to almost get into like a dodgeball match with the guy setting the screen and like make a feint and get around and all that takes a lot of time so he gets separation and then isn't able to recover and then off the ball massive problems just very prone to getting back cut very prone with any type of movement you know if he gets into the lane to tag the roller if the guy he's guarding is in the corner and shakes up to the wing Levine will have no idea where he's gone it takes a second to recognize where he is and close out again and then uh you know and obviously the effort level is not great and so usually when guys come back from the ACL oh back that was that was a solid Chicago accent there uh when discussing the, the Bulls usually it doesn't come out for me anymore uh but usually when you just get back from the ACL I, I found just subjectively especially for perimeter players their defense looks like it's not quite at the same level and uh Levine uh was already pretty darn close to the floor in that regard 
guard in Minnesota. One other thing I wanted to talk about briefly is he just doesn't have great vision as a passer. He can get assists, but there are times where he just doesn't see a guy who's wide open. There was one that you, I believe, screenshotted and just put up on Twitter where Larry Markinen is wide open and he just doesn't see him at all. And those sorts of plays happen oh, yeah. with the- interior guys. They happen with guys in the corner. And that was why he never, one of the reasons he never made sense as a point guard in Minnesota and why I was happy they switched off that. But when you think about the value of an offensive player, at least finding the open guy and hitting them when they're open is an important part for a guard. Yeah, I got to describe that play, actually, if you didn't see it on Twitter. He runs a pick and pop with Markkanen, who basically just stays at the three-point line. Levine crosses over, gets to the foul line. Every Hawks player defensively is below the foul line. Markkanen is just standing wide open at the top. Levine is covered. He pump fakes, doesn't get open, and then takes the jumper, which actually jumped over the guy and he made it anyway. But Markkanen was just wide open for a three-pointer, and Levine just never even saw him. He pump fakes, still didn't see him, and then just took a contested jumper, which, you know, he made. So uh, there's uh, some positive reinforcement for that terrible play, uh, unfortunately. Let's get to the old uh, Charlotte Hornets, who we may not spend quite as much time on uh, as some of these other teams, but uh, what we got for them? Hornets are now 29-38, and 2-5 and five since last time we did this. They are now out of the playoff picture. 17th in net rating, which, again, they're kind of the reverse of the Cavs, where they're, they're close on that, but they've been killed in close games. 12th in offense, 18th in defense, projected to have 36 wins, which would put them just behind the Pistons, so they'd be in 10th. And I don't. That's going to be an epic tank off, by the way, between them and the Pistons once they officially give up, because there are no other teams in that range right now, which uh, is interesting. You could argue that because there's only three teams projected to finish between 21 and 4. Oh, it's not going to be a tank off because the Pistons don't have their pick, so right. it will just be Charlotte. Uh, so, it, But uh, there's only three teams projected to finish between 31 and 43 wins. Uh, this is as of yesterday and two of them the pistons and the lakers don't have their pick so charlotte congratulations you're the only team just really stuck in nba purgatory right now and the day before the trade deadline charlotte was 23 and 30 they were five games quote-unquote ahead of the worst teams in the win column and it's fair to note that they if they had just traded kemba even if they were just eating it they wouldn't have really improved their draft stock the knicks were 23 and 32 at that point at the same point when charlotte was 23 and 30 they've only won one game and they haven't I don't think their draft pick has improved by one spot because all the other teams are so bad but if they had been willing to trade Kemba at least theoretically and it was always dependent on what offers are on the table a team acquiring Kemba Walker beyond getting their bird rights they would have they would have had him for one full season one third of a season and a second playoff run if they were a team up there and that could have been really valuable even to a team like the Knicks who ended up losing Christoph Porzingis and all that changed just having him in their system could have really helped them no I, I I agree with that uh but you know it's too late now uh for them uh, one of the most star-crossed signings in recent history at least for much of the season was Michael Carter Williams uh, they gave him a lot of, of what they had left uh, under the tax ended up that he was totally ineffective this year and now will list, miss the rest of the season with a labral tear in his left shoulder uh, soon to undergo surgery as of last week we talked about this how their bench units hadn't been as bad as expected recently remember there was just that huge on-off differential 
over there like you know negative 10 without count but it ended up only being about a six points of net rating differential part of that is because frank kaminsky actually has come on of late up to a career high 37 percent from three now when that's most of what you do offensively and when you're still shooting only 44 percent from two as a seven footer that's not amazing but at least he's starting to hit the three-pointer at an above average rate for the first time in his career good news is he's uh extension eligible this offseason danny a player who is more deserving in my opinion of getting money travion graham i still really like him he is shooting he has a 56 percent true shooting but what's crazy is 12 percent usage which is basically nothing and he's shooting 46 percent from three 54 percent at the rim and in college when he was at he was a four-year player at vcu which is why he's a lot older than most restricted free agents which he will be this summer he shot 35 percent from three 38 percent of senior year 70 percent from the line so i would say 46 percent is clear pretty clearly an outlier but you could see the argument that he could be a decent three-point shooter from that and then i've liked his defense quite a bit yeah he just the energy that he brings is palpable and we're not talking about someone who i think is going to be a starter you know that that's going a little too far but as a decent bench signing you know the type of guy who could really help a team like say the wolves for example uh you know uh, uh, although they also have marcus george hunt who, who's in a somewhat similar mold uh but he's hit shots well enough to me to deserve a look you know i think something above the minimum i might consider that for him he will be a restricted free agent it'll be interesting to see what happens whether he's brought back in charlotte or not uh but he is a guy that, that we've liked doesn't really have a ton of off the dribble game in that 12 percent usage is pretty concerningly low for a wing player um and he certainly has not been able to save their bench units he has a negative 6.2 net rating on the year but given the way he's defended and the fact that he's hit shots and how valuable that can be in the nba i think he's someone that i might consider trying to make a a pretty low level offer to and maybe that ends up getting matched but the good news is to make that offer you don't necessarily uh, have to use enough of your cap space that it's a big deal to have it tied up for a little bit in terms of an ideal role i think there could be an analogy to what jonathan simmons on a better team would be which is the third swingman so a defensive option uh, when you have that uh, although he doesn't he doesn't have anywhere close to the off the dribble game and finishing at the rim but just in terms of he's not that type of athlete maybe 20 to 28 minutes a game and then where he plays is relative to who the other team has so if the other team has a small forward that you think graham is the or a two who you think graham is the best guy to defend then maybe you start him in that game but you still don't play him 35 minutes or whatever in that game i think he can do okay in that role and considering how few wings there are in the market yeah i would do that the big downside with him in terms of restriction for agency and this might be why he gets totally screwed is the mandatory year limit on a on an offer sheet because if you have to commit three years to him and you want to put it at a number that charlotte is going to be queasy about then that's a very different commitment than doing it on a one or two year thing no it could be only two years can it? i don't know why i was thinking three uh that's a maximum qualifying offer if he has a maximum qualifying offer then it has to be at least a three-year offer sheet because remember there are guys who signed for two plus ones you're thinking about sign and trade has to be three years but that's all right. We're, we're a little out of practice. Uh, we got to get back in, in the mind for uh, trade season, which I'm sure we will, or, or free agency season, which I'm sure we will soon. Well, we can we can jump in, unless you had anything else on the Hornets, to the Brooklyn Nets. They are 21 and 46, and they are in some ways the most volatile team in that bottom mix because they do not have their own pick. Two and five since last 1560, 23rd in net rating, 25th in offense, 21st in defense. And so they're projected for 26 wins, which would tie them with the Orlando Magic 
tragic. And I'm sure the Cleveland Cavaliers and their fans would be pretty happy if that's the way that it turned out. But considering their incentives are totally different than all these teams that are trying to tank their butts off, I expect them to jump up at least a couple spots. Yeah, and their point guard situation has been interesting. D'Angelo Russell, overall for the season, got some positive attention early, then went down with the knee injury. Since he's been back, has had a few good moments, but some really ugly games too. But overall, 51% true shooting, 30% usage. Is assisting more than he had in the past. Uh, It's good to see that he's shooting a better percentage at the rim, but he's still not getting there. Only 17% of his shots and then shooting 30% from downtown. Now, the good news is if he just starts hitting a better percentage on threes, a lot of this looks much better for him. If he can get to even 35%, 37%, enough where teams are really concerned about that shot for him, then that opens up a lot of it. But, you know, he was a guy who was talked about as potentially, you know, a Steph Curry level of shooter coming out of school one reason to think maybe that wouldn't be the case was he was only a 75 percent free throw shooter he's still only 76 percent from the foul line uh although he is getting there a little bit more than he did as a laker but he's one of these guys so i don't really think it makes a ton of sense to lock him up early as an extension would you agree with that i would and the nets have a different incentive with him because as a super high draft pick second overall his cap hold is 21 million dollars so that would lead to because any contract i would sign with him would be substantially less than that and that is a year that brooklyn would like to spend their money but as much as people would want to freak out about that a getting a value on him that you're happy with right now is hard still a lot of evaluation left to do and two i'm not sure that he's necessarily part of their answer and so why would why would you commit to it now when you don't know exactly where it's going to go yeah and especially when you can make the argument that a superior player who has played much better than him this season although is certainly older and probably doesn't have quite the upside uh is in the fold and someone who they might be able to keep around with an extension spencer dinwiddie is in a a different spot than a lot of players recently due to the circumstances of the contract he signed so dinwiddie has one more non-guaranteed year on his contract for the 2018-19 season at the minimum and as i understand it the contract is structured where that is non-guaranteed and not an option because that would have actually created more flexibility for them but so what that means is that he if he runs through that contract without having anything new he will be an unrestricted free agent because of the prior years he's played in the league that creates a risk certainly for the nets because he can leave without compensation they would have full bird rights but he could still just leave they cannot renegotiate and extend him because of the term of his contract but they can agree to an extension and so the extension would replace his minimum cap hold for the 2019-20 season when he would otherwise be an unrestricted free agent and the downside of that is it might be a year that they want to spend but the upside is if you can get a commitment from him somebody who hasn't made much money in his NBA career, you could end up with a valuable piece, even whether he's your starter or your backup, for most of his the remainder of his prime, because the first year of his extension will be his age 26 season. Yeah, and if you get him on a good value number, if you are desperate to use cap space that offseason, you can trade him. But I, I like the idea of signing him because I think he can be versatile. He's got enough size at 6'5", where he can play next to another point guard, and he's a good enough shooter that he can play in that role as well. I've really liked the burst that he's shown. He stayed healthy in his career after that ACL tear that he had in college. You're always a little bit wary when guys kind of come out of nowhere, but he's been playing at this level now.
now for almost a year since he signed with the Nets late in the season last year and I think that's about enough to where you know you probably want to make that type of an offer it's just a question of whether he would accept it or not and what's the most that they could offer him if they wanted to right now like what are the constraints it's basically the Josh Richardson but with a higher cap so I believe that's 442 is I think what was in my piece for real GM that is also for Patreon subscribers it is a Danny story time especially if you are a new a new subscriber you have access to all that backlog I'm not exactly sure how to get there but I know that it's there one other little note on the nets here they do not take many mid-rangers but they are really bad at them uh they're 11.2 mid-rangers per game is second fewest in the league obviously the rockets i think they only take like seven but interestingly both the nets and rockets make a pretty bad percentage the rockets i think might are like 35 percent for mid-range and the nets are 37.5 and so you think about that well i mean it's not necessarily because they have bad shooters though the Nets shooters are not amazing i think the reason why if i had to hypothesize is that both the rockets and nets who are very analytically focused teams if they're taking a mid-ranger it's because they're forced into that shot late in the clock and it's just bad they don't want to take it and they have no choice and so that's probably why their percentage is so bad i mean you look at the rockets you know most of those shots can be taken by a chris paul or james harden uh but they really want to avoid them until late in games when you know the value of simply scoring on a possession it could be higher than you know whether you want to go three or two so that's what i anticipate is going on here with the nets as well though again they don't have the greatest mid-range shooters in the world themselves all right let's talk uh, boston celtics here here 46 and 21 four and two since the last 15 and 60 had a nice win with Kyrie Irving on the road against Minnesota on Thursday although Jalen Brown had a scary fall by the way very similar to what Chris Dunn had if you're going to the rim and trying to dunk don't off of one foot don't try and hang on the rim with two hands I and mean, we've seen both Dunn and Brown end up trying to hang on the rim and then just getting totally ass over tea kettle and really injuring themselves just maybe he felt like he was just totally out of control and you just had to grab at the rim but usually that doesn't tend to work out that well and you're only exacerbating things if you're gonna you know hold on to the rim and then get yourself horizontally in any event uh so Kyrie played in that game and now uh, after reports he played earlier than expected after reports he could miss a week and then he ended up having to miss the second half today against the Pacers in a game that they probably would have won had he been able to continue yeah it's a frustrating circumstance so they said after the Rockets game that he was going to take some time to rest the knee he sat in the game against chicago that they won going away surprise surprise yeah then, also noteworthy by the way that that Ainge said uh he'd have to man it's something he'd have to manage for the rest of his career which is uh not encouraging yeah and then pivoted to i don't think it's anything serious which generally those two sentences are not said about the same circumstance at the same time but so Kyrie sat in the chicago game and then a couple days later when we thought he was going to be out for a little while longer and that was part of what led to us talking about how toronto was pretty much a lock for the one he played 30 minutes against the wolves in that game they won by eight and then comes out with a knee issue at halftime of the pacers game and now he the the i have this from jared weiss was that his knee is feel has been feeling achy for the past week and he thinks he needs some time off it so yeah, yeah same place we were a week ago in other words and you put more the, when they didn't give him the time off of it so <sighs> yeah i mean and, and it's tough for a training staff because you're always dependent on how the player says that he feels but you know this is one especially because 
they need him so badly for the playoffs where they probably need to uh give him a, a rest and, and especially just acknowledge that you know they're pretty much locked into the two at this point so no reason to rush him back a few interesting stats uh, on them aaron baines is 55.1 percent shooting at the rim ranks last among players 6 11 or taller with more than 100 uh, attempts there jalen brown 285 shots at the rim only 57.5 percent there that is a disappointment when you consider his athleticism and just watching him he gets to the rim quite a bit and just you know you'd think guys who are that athletic would finish better but he a lot of shots were like if you just watch the shot and how open he was uh, and you just couldn't see the ball go in you know you would just say oh based on where he is and his body in the air and the level of contest this is it this is going in but he just seems to miss a lot of like kind of easy i mean easy is tough to say because you know there's a lot of guys leaning on you in the nba but it's shots that you would expect someone like him to make and then here's a, a little more trivia for you here which celtic ranks second to last in the nba in shooting at the rim among players with over 100 attempts at the rim certainly not Kyrie, because Kyrie is is more skilled than most guys his size but my thought process would be that it's a guard i'm gonna go with marcus smart that's a good guess but it is uh terry rozier uh 49.6 65 out of 131 and that's how with all these guys struggling smarts and not great at the rim either uh that's how you get the second worst shooting at the rim of any team 58 percent they don't take a ton of mid-rangers the threes they get to the rim but they just are not finishing quite as well there as you would have hoped and, and of course rozier missed a shot at the rim today that could have uh tied the game uh but let's talk a little bit more about rozier another guy who i think we got a little flack for ranking as low as we did in our point guard rankings and my biggest reason why i have been low and also you know was not someone i talked about really as a, a prospect not someone that i see as you know at least a future solid starter maybe he's a guy who could play at the back end of the starting point guards in the league if he has more guys next to him uh the biggest reason i say that is that i think his pick and roll game in particular his pick and roll passing is pretty limited is that something you've seen from him as well danny it is and i i think that's his biggest weakness is being able to create shots for himself and others i like him defensively but if you can't provide that offensive foundation it's putting a lot on your teammates because most teams don't have players six foot four and above that can create in those sorts of circumstances yeah and rosier just watching some of his passes out of the pick and roll the one thing he does really well is avoid turnovers he only has an eight percent turnover rate this season and, and he can find the role man a lot of what he's got a decent chemistry with daniel tice for example where especially in a semi-transition situation tice will step up if the opponent is trying to ice it then tice will get to the three-point line and, and rosier is able to find guys like him baines horford uh, on pick and pops but he's not making the plays to shooters on the weak side part of that is who he's playing with he's playing with smart as well you know he's not playing with great shooters to space the floor for him uh but also noteworthy that his shooting shot at at the rim is that are down uh where he's only taking 18 percent of his shots there usage is up but still below 20 percent uh and the finishing which we mentioned that 49 percent shooting at the rim second to last last is lonzo ball by the way at 47 percent uh he doesn't look extremely comfortable with his left hand you know a lot of times he's bringing the ball back into the defense with the right hand he doesn't really have those off foot hand finishes where you you finish off your right foot with your right hand or, or left you know those Kyrie Irving type of finishes you know he can look good with some finishes like because he can really jump and so if he eludes the defense and makes it, it it looks better uh but on a lot of these plays too you know he's just could be a little bit more judicious which is not great because he's not getting there that much to begin with but he's just going right into the chest of the defense and he doesn't really have a great floater game and he's not able to 
knock guys back quite well enough you know the way a Russell Westbrook could uh to create space for himself so the craft is kind of missing you know you don't see those Nash layups you don't see the floaters you don't see just uh, those things that can wrong foot the defense you know he's getting ahead of steam up trying to get there go through guys with his athleticism and that works sometimes but uh, you know a lot of times it it doesn't uh he remains a great rebounder of course and I think defensively uh he's been solid and a guy who can be one of the better defensive point guards in the NBA with his tools so he's another one of these guys Danny Rozier do they try to extend him with Irving already there he'll be eligible for an extension in the summer you know is another do they try to move on from him and trade him what do you see his future being he will get out into a more open 2019 market than the disaster we're going to see for restricted free agents in 2018 but Boston can absolutely do the leverage play with him that I expect them to do with Marcus Smart because now that they got Gordon Hayward they're an over the cap team and I would expect them to keep him by the sole logic that they have lofty aspirations as they they should I mean they're a very very good team they're going to be second in the east this year without Gordon Hayward for almost the entirety of the year and they will have whether they want to transfer it into a present player or whatever they'll have that pick it looks like from the Kings in 2019 that's going to be incredibly valuable so if Terry Rozier is I would assume the best backup point guard that they can get without giving up something significant as long as they are not concerned about him getting like a starting caliber offer I would just keep him around and roll the dice on restricted free agency the one thing that I've been impressed by with him is his shooting he hit a big three-pointer coming off the screen they actually ran a play for him late when they were down five with under 30 seconds left um so he's becoming a decent catch and shoot player and even decent off the dribble for three-pointers as well so you could see him maybe becoming similar to like a Corey Joseph type of player maybe not quite as good defensively but a a better shooter than him you know maybe that level of player um and and it's always difficult to kind of see exactly what you should pay a player like that you know a guy who can maybe close some games in a two-point guard lineup but again just you you can't go crazy paying guys who are not going to be your main pick and roll option as a point guard or who don't have elite fit next to your other pick and roll guard and you know they obviously already have Kyrie Irving so I think it becomes a question that maybe you do look to move him next year especially and a lot depends of course what happens with Smart's restricted free agency as well clearly they can't pay both him and Smart um all right let's talk a little Atlanta Hawks here we do not have a ton on them this week um I think I soured on them a little bit after seeing them just shut down Dennis Schroeder in the middle of of, uh on his way to like a 35 point game against the Suns they could try to lose that which of course they won anyway uh but where are their fundamentals they are now 20 and 47 two and five since the last one of these 28th in net rating at negative 6.1 26th in offense 26th in defense and they are projected to finish last in the eastern conference at 24 wins which at the at the moment would at, would put them with the third most ping pong balls 538 projects the suns and grizzlies to be two games ahead at 22 and 60 a bright spot for them has been the, their mid-range shooting Dwayne dedman 39 out of 75 he's 52 percent for mid-range pretty impressive considering how non-skilled he was considered when he first broke into the league in 2013-14 with the Warriors that he's been able to make himself into that type of shooter he's even been taking corner threes comfortably and then I think Dennis Schroeder is another guy who deserves credit for making himself into a decent shooter especially because Schroeder kind of shoots the set shot he doesn't really have the great like kind of stop and 
pop rise but he's actually shooting 45 percent for mid-range which again league average is about 40 percent and his 317 attempts are 12th in the nba i mean especially when you consider the lack of other good scoring options on this team a, a mid-ranger from shooter in the half court is not bad uh by the way your league leader in mid-range attempts is russell westbrook of 437 uh meanwhile shooter was rested for no apparent reason today uh, in their loss to the bulls torian prince attempted to go off uh, again to give them another double tank win as he did uh, with that three-pointer against the suns last week but it was not to be he did drop a career high 38 points on 7 of 13 from 3 11 of 18 overall from the field and even got to the foul line for 9 out of 10 but again in these double tank type of games it's really difficult for me to draw a ton of conclusions with uh the lack of defense that's being played i mean to give up a buck 22 to this hawks team without shooter is a pretty massive accomplishment defensively i've got a piece of trivia for you oh yeah here we go Dwayne deadman is 36 of 97 from three this year i do not believe because i'm using basketball reference that includes today when he was one of two so he is almost at the 100 103 threshold the trivia question is this how many three-pointers had Dwayne deadman taken in the nba before this season nine the answer is one <laughs> and now i am looking to see if that was a heave it was not so yeah it was back in when he was on the magic his first year on the magic full year he took one three and that was the only one and so then this year he's going to pop 100 that's pretty incredible and he's shooting 37 percent on them yeah I, I mean and and that mid-range shooting makes you think that that's not just you know total luck either and he's a 79 percent from the line this year which would be a career high that is something that i like to track to see if there's maybe something in the form that's better and and Deadman, we've talked about a lot of other people that have exceedingly complicated option decisions this year. His is crazy because you not only have the expected value question, but it, the question of what he wants. Because if he if he would rather take a little bit less money to go to a good team, he absolutely could. I think those offers are going to be on the table, but I have no idea if that's what he wants. Yeah, and, and maybe, I mean, perhaps a team like Portland would say, hey, you know what, Yusuf Nurkic, you're your salary demands are completely insane uh, let's let Nurkic walk and uh, Dwayne Dedman you want to do a full mid-level exception uh, we'll go there instead uh, you know that's the type of thing you might see happening with him but then yeah his agent's gonna have a lot of work to do uh, beforehand to see it. and it's just it's really tough to say you know how good he, he really is I mean this hasn't been a good Hawks defense this year that's where he made his calling it was defensively but he's he's got this shooting now I mean, it's just so hard to evaluate guys in this type of a setting also interestingly enough the hawks 10 days they've signed antonius cleveland who is injured and hasn't been able to play now they signed him to a rest of season contract and then we'll see what the structure is going forward you imagine it'll be kind of a non-guaranteed cleveland spent time in camp with the warriors uh impressed with his uh, athleticism he was a, a guy that mike schmitz liked then he was with the mavs uh, for a time uh, a guy who fits into the hawks university mold but you know they're also just spent two 10 days on a guy who, who had a, a bum ankle the whole time and then you know this is just one scout's opinion but one that i talked to said basically the guys that they signed uh to 10 days and out of the g league are actually playing for them now are nowhere near the best guys who are available even when you consider all the guys who are on two-way contracts uh and that they're you know that other scouts may disagree with that i don't know anything about the the, the g league guys that they signed in particular but that's one thing that i thought i'd pass along from a scout that just uh, you know, this is uh, some tanktastic signings, at least in his opinion. One other Deadman note, just because I hadn't seen this before just now, I forgot that Basketball Reference keeps track of average shot distance, which is crazy with somebody like him. So 
for any full season, he had never had a, a longer average shot distance than a little over five and a half feet. This year, 12 and a half feet. Yeah, that would be an interesting one of like how many players have, have doubled that uh, in like 250% increase, uh, apparently. Um, all right, I think that'll do it for today. Anything you want to uh, plug before we go? On Friday, I released a Real Jam Radio with Nathaniel Friedman, who a lot of people know as Bethlehem Shoals of Free Darko. I think that was fun. I wrote a piece on the Athletic San Francisco for the Warriors and their the change in the way they might be thinking about designated veteran stuff now that Clay Thompson is probably not going to qualify because he wasn't All-NBA last year and he probably will not be this year. So I wrote a piece on that. And then it's not out yet, but you can get, I guess, preemptively excited if you want to. I am in the process this coming week of starting my... the preparation for my offseason previews which i will do for all 30 teams this year and that will tie in with the offseason previews that we do for dunktown of course twitter nba show we did today for warriors wolves next one is actually going to be a week from wednesday with the tournament there aren't as many national tv games but that'll be an awesome one raptors at Cavs uh, on march 21st can't wait for that one that'll be a really fun one to do uh and then maybe we'll even do a little wizard spurs as well Kawhi leonard could be back reports are as early as this week he's targeting thursday so that could change a lot the spurs uh, certainly desperately need him at this point so thanks so much uh, for listening and we'll be back tomorrow talk to y'all then at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet 365 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.